I'm delighted now to hand uh, the floor over to our co-sponsor and co-organizer, Britton Mullen, the president of the Border Trade Alliance. Uh, without the help of Britton and her team, we could not have done this week's event. So Britton, thank you, and Garrick and Amanda for all your great work and collaboration. Now over to you. Thank you, Andrew. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining today. We have an outstanding two-day program planned for you. My name is Britton Mullen, as Andrew mentioned, and I am the president for the U.S. Border Trade Alliance. While we prefer to be with you in person, we are appreciative to you, Andrew, and Olivia, and uh, Cicely, and Duncan on your team and at the Wilson Center for allowing us to have this virtual format. As we return to the topic this year of how we can build a more competitive U.S.-Mexico border, we'll be hearing from the cross-border manufacturing community, from border region elected officials, and from economic institutions about how they continue to manage a very disruptive last 18 months and what the future might have to store. We're also looking forward to learning lessons from the northern border, a topic we'll explore tomorrow. But first, it's my pleasure to welcome our good friend, a compassionate leader, and a frequent guest at this annual conference, Congressman Cuellar. We all know Congressman Cuellar as an outspoken advocate for the entire U.S.-Mexico border region, which has kept him especially busy of recent. He's also a true trade champion, something he proved during the successful congressional negotiation over the USMCA. At the conclusion of Congressman Cuellar's remarks, Andrew will facilitate Q&A in the time remaining. We know the Congressman has a lot on his mind when it comes to the border. We always look forward to hearing from him. Congressman Cuellar, thank you for being here today. I turn it to you. Thank you so much, and Bryn, thank you so much for your leadership as the president of the Border Trade Alliance and your uh, passion that you bring and your knowledge that you bring. So I certainly want to say thank you so much uh, to you, Brady, for your leadership. Uh, Andrew, also, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, the uh, Wilson Center, uh, Mexico Institute is, is a, a, a source of information and, and uh, information for policies and uh, ideas. So I certainly want to thank uh, you all. Uh, very much uh, for this. And I want to thank all of y'all for being here. And hopefully, uh, Britton and Andrew, next time we're together, I hope that we can do this in, in person. But uh, in the meanwhile, wear your mask and get vaccinated, if I can say that, <laughs> uh, PSA. Uh, look, uh, the border, uh, I live in the border, and I always say there's an appropriation. So I sit on Homeland as the vice chair. I sit on uh, defense approaches and ag. Uh, and I always say this, I don't live, I mean, I don't uh, visit the border, I live at the border. Uh, so I see all the dynamics, whether it's trade, uh, tourism, retail, uh, and uh, of course the illegal migration that we see right now. So it's a, a multi-dimensional type of situation that we see there. And I think over the years I see this, that as we get challenges on the border, uh, our institutional relationship with Mexico will be tested uh, but we see that it's still very strong. And it's not because of government, but it's basically because of the private sector and what you all do. So to all of you all, whether you're in the private sector or, or in some sort of governmental uh, agency, uh, um, uh, I certainly want to say thank you so much uh, for what you do. I, I want to just talk about a couple of things because I do want to get into questions and answers. So 
Uh, first of all, uh, as I mentioned, very dynamic. We're facing different things. Um, you know, people say the border's close. Uh, but as you know, my personal opinion is, um, you know, the border is open to undocumented aliens coming in without due respect. Uh, when you get thousands of people coming in, uh, for example, in the last three weeks in the Rio Grande Valley, we've had about 65,000 people that have come in at the uh, at the lower Rio Grande Valley. Uh, but then when you talk about, and that's a, a system that I think uh, we're all compassionate, but I think we need to follow the law uh, when it comes to border security. Uh, I've always said this, that we believe in legal migration. We just don't believe in illegal migration. So that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is, of course, our border restrictions that we see, uh, that is uh, before the pandemic, that we would see over 18 million Mexicans that would come and spend over $19 billion in the U.S. Uh, and as you know, there's a lot of contradictions. We get undocumented aliens that are able to come in, regardless of the uh, health issues that are brought up. Uh, but when it talks about having the legal, legal uh, visa holders that, that the Mexicans are, they can't come in through land. So that's one contradiction. And of course, the other contradiction is that they can fly in. So if you're in Monterrey, uh, if you want to come through Laredo, uh, you can't do it uh, through the land bridge. But if you get in a plane, you can fly into San Antonio, Houston. So there are different contradictions. And this is something I've told the um, administration they need to uh, uh, fix that. We've seen what Canada is opening up the um, to Americans come in and we'll see what happens at that at the uh, with all this. And I hope that the Canadian border is not open by itself and uh, we do it at the same time uh, with the Mexican border once we do that. So that's one dynamic uh, that we're seeing. And of course, trade, uh, essential trade, even though I call tourism and retail essential also, but the essential part of it, uh, you know, that's going. Uh, and it's been increasing. And a lot of it is just simply because of the uh, the, the new NAFTA, what I call the NAFTA 2.0, uh, it's working. Uh, we do have uh, issues with uh, Mexico on some issues. Uh, I don't think they're following uh, what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, I'm sure that the Mexicans have complaints about the Americans also. Uh, but there are some uh, things, the way they treat the energy companies uh, and other uh, industry that I think we need to spend time so we can uh, put together and make sure we're uh, on the same page on that. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there are a lot of things that I, I try to do in the appropriations. Uh, there is a bill that I know we're still working with the Border Trade Alliance, but I'm telling you, uh, we're going to get this done one way or the other, is the uh, Land Port of Entry Modernization Trust Fund. Uh, and we want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. But I, I'm telling you that my intent is to get it done, uh, and I want to do it with your input. Uh, why is it that seaports uh, get all this extra assistance or even airports? There's a harbor maintenance trust fund. But if you look at most of the goods and people that come into the United States, they don't come through seaports or land port uh, or airports. They come through land ports. And I think we need to have a steady source of funding. Uh, and, and again, I ask all of y'all, please work with me because it is my intent to uh, get this done, and I certainly need your input on that. Uh, other things that I added uh, on the appropriations, for example, uh, I added language, language that directs the State Department to develop a strategy 
for bolstering cooperation with Metro and Canada on a supply chain resiliency. Uh, and that is important because I think we saw that we were just too dependent uh, on Canada, uh, I mean, on, on the uh, Chinese. And we certainly need to make sure uh, that this chain supply resiliency uh, is strengthened between the U.S. and Mexico. And I certainly want to thank, uh, thank some of the um, uh, some some of the folks, Sergio and other folks uh, from uh, uh, our Mexican investors, uh, companies, certainly want to thank them for that uh, idea and the language that we work together. Uh, we have worked on uh, language also to add monies uh, in technology uh, to our ports, monies to uh, do more ports uh, construction. But ports are done. This is why I push the, uh, uh, the trust fund is ports are like uh, like the courthouses. If anybody have seen or understand the way we find courthouses, we do one at a time, maybe two at a time, uh, but we have so many needs that we need to have something that's bigger, uh, stronger, and better uh, uh, to get this done. Uh, but we have put in uh, monies, uh, basically taking the money away from the wall uh, and put it for technology and for port itself. Uh, added other languages uh, that, um, will get us to um, uh, look at some of the things. For example, I've added language uh, to make sure that in the agriculture uh, that we um, uh, work with them to develop strategies on improving the efficiency of agriculture inspection process and trade facilitation. Uh, that is uh, important because we certainly know uh, what, uh, uh, what the ag means to that area. Uh, certainly uh, put language there asking GSA uh, to appoint a border infrastructure coordinator uh, where they will work along with CBP, GSA, uh, the Department of Transportation. Uh, so when we're, whenever we do construction, we can coordinate this uh, a lot more uh, itself also. Uh, finally, the NAT Bank uh, uh, is something that uh, is uh, key. Um, I had a bill. We added it to the uh, um, uh, trade agreement. Uh, the uh, NAFTA uh, 2.0, and now we have recapitalized, and so we're doing a lot more um, uh, for the NAT Bank that I think will be involved a little bit more uh, with uh, roads, hopefully. We'll see what happens in October, November, and certainly some of them have been involved with some of the uh, uh, port uh, or bridges uh, construction that will be key. Uh, finally, uh, I do want to say this uh, to everybody and there's a lot of other uh, things that I've added, but I want to summarize this. Um, I want to thank uh, BTA and everybody else that was involved uh, with passing uh, the NAFTA 2.0, the, uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, uh, agreement. That was key uh, because we needed it to uh, just modernize what we did with uh, NAFTA back in the 90s. So I just want to say thank you for all of y'all for working to make sure that we uh, got this uh, passed. We just got to make sure that the way it's implemented, that it, it doesn't uh, uh, affect in a negative way, uh, especially to some of the American companies that I spend a lot of time in industries that have told me about what's happening or the way the Mexicans are looking at the, uh, the American companies. And again, I understand, I'm sure the Mexicans have uh, concerns, but we got to keep our, uh, our communications uh, open. So with that, uh, Britton and Andrew, I want to, uh, you know, I just wanted to highlight some of the things. Uh, I just want to be a team player with you. Uh, and I certainly want to learn from all of you. Uh, so with that, I'll be happy to answer 
any easy questions that John might have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. We really appreciate you you being here and all the support you've provided for the Mexico Institute and, and for the border region and the Border Trade Alliance. So really, really delighted to have you kick off our program today. Uh, just a reminder for our audience, uh, you can ask questions, easy questions, I, I believe, uh, either by emailing to Mexico at WilsonCenter.org or tag us on Twitter at Mexico Institute. Um, Congressman, you're in uh, in your district or certainly have been traveling around in, in your district. Maybe could we start off, give us a sense of how your constituents are managing the pandemic, uh, both in terms of, of the economic and the health side, if, if you would. Well, right now I'm happy to be in Houston. Tomorrow I'll be in my district. But right. look, in, in the district itself, um, you know, it's interesting. The border communities, as an example, were doing a better job at vaccinating uh, than the state average and the natural, uh, the uh, uh, national average, where we're doing a good job. And right now what we're seeing, of course, cases go up like we're seeing them in different areas. Uh, and about 90, at least in my area, not, almost 90, 87 percent uh, of the people that are getting sick or that are getting sick are the unvaccinated ones. So we, this is why I keep saying get your vaccines. I, you know, I was with the, I mentioned I was with the military in Alaska. And I was talking to the soldiers, and you had the younger soldiers that had just come in. You had the older soldiers, the, the commanders. And when I asked them questions about the vaccines, the older soldiers said, hey, I took my vaccine. Let's go ahead and move on. The younger soldiers, it was interesting. They were saying, well, you know, I, I read, you know, and I said, the internet, yes, sir. Uh, you know, I read uh, that, you know, there are some problems, and I read this and all that. So it's fascinating how the social media has impacted some of the younger folks from taking this, besides, you know, some of the older folks that have certain ideological uh, uh, leanings. But the other thing is, I, I told the soldiers this, look, I understand that, but I said, look, when I was growing up, and I think some of us remember this, if you were gonna go to school, you had to take your, your polio shot, you had to take your tennis, you had to take your measles, you had to take, uh, you know, the other uh, shots, and you took them to go, you know, go to school. Uh, and, you know, we are in different times. And, you know, at least for the military, as you know, by uh, September 15, they're going to be uh, mandating uh, vaccines for our soldiers. Uh, but, you know, we are in different times. But uh, we've seen this in my district that people have, have done this. But one thing that we're seeing in my district is, is we have capacity at the, um, uh, at the uh, um, you know, hospitals. But the problem is, uh, you know, fiscal uh, capacity, but there's not enough nurses uh, on it. So therefore, we have a lack of capacity. Beds are available uh, because of what we're seeing. And I was talking to my niece who's um, works here at the big hospital here in Houston. Uh, and she was telling me that, you know, there is conversation that, you know, some of the after effects of uh, COVID uh, might become uh, a, you know, uh, a situation uh, and, and something that might be covered. So it, it's fascinating because we're going through a very difficult time. Uh, but again, my district, uh, you know, high vaccination, but it's that small amount of people that are just, that haven't been vaccinated. And I think we're seeing that. Yes, thanks. I, I, I think without a doubt, uh, the evidence certainly is suggesting, as you say, that the vast majority of the cases now are, are the unvaccinated. Uh, but. 
speaking of, of the vaccines, the, the U.S. Uh, made a donation to Mexico uh, specifically to increase vaccination rates in the border region on the Mexican side of the border. Um, some reports suggest that almost all eligible residents on the Mexican side have been vaccinated. Uh, given that, do you have a sense of when the Biden administration might open the border to to non-essential travel, which you, you mentioned in your opening comments? And, and particularly, I think, important, what might be the criteria for making that decision? Because I, I think the uncertainty is is presumably the, one of the biggest problems for all of us. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we have uh, provided uh, vaccines, and I think uh, yesterday the VP, uh, VP Harris and, and the Mexican president were supposed to talk about more vaccines, and I'm sure the U.S. is going to provide more vaccines. Uh, I can tell you that border communities have been there in their fair share. For example, in Laredo, uh, we have a flight uh, because, as you know, they don't let Mexicans come in through land ports, but they can fly in. So we have Aero Mexico that, I mean, uh, Aero Mar that, flies in from Mexico a couple of times a, a, a week, two, three times a week, and you have Mexicans that come in and uh, we have uh, foreign uh, vaccinations. That is, they come in, get their shot, and they fly back over there. Uh, some of the border communities have worked with them to get some maquiladora workers and other people vaccinated. Uh, so we've seen some of this uh, done. Uh, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, when are we going to open this up? Uh, you know, I always say this is the United States of America, uh, and we got to find a way. You know, I've talked to name the, the folks, uh, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, the secretary, uh, both secretaries, you know, the, the last one and then this one current right now. And I've talked to CDC, uh, and it was interesting because Homeland would put uh, the blame uh, to CDC. When I would talk to CDC, they would say, you know, they would pass it the other way around. Uh, CDC, when I asked them, why is it that we can't get uh, people uh, uh, um, either vaccinated or checked at the border like we do uh, airports? You know, Mexicans can fly in, but they can't drive in. And their answer was, it's complicated. And without due respect, that shows me that they don't understand the border. It's not complicated. You can always find a way to address it. You know, let the local people find a way to address it. To answer your question, I hope soon. Uh, because what's happening is I don't think the administration understands the impact uh, of uh, the economic impact. There are businesses, if you look at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, it will tell you that in Laredo, for example, uh, some businesses depend 40, 50, or maybe even higher percent on just the Mexican shoppers. As I mentioned at the beginning, before the pandemic, over $19 billion were spent in the U.S., so the border communities, uh, and tomorrow I'll walk the streets of Laredo by the bridge uh, with a national reporter, uh, anchor, uh, and people just don't understand the way our businesses have just been devastated. And Washington uh, doesn't understand this, uh, the way this has been uh, devastated. Our people, it's not only the small business owners, but think about all those employees that used to work for them. Uh, and it's not only that, but think about the uh, you know, the family members, you know, you can't see family members because, as you know, on the border there, you got primos and primas on both sides of the border and they haven't seen each other for a long time. So uh, I wish that the border would I mean, I wish the administration would understand this. I had a way that we're going to op- we were going to open this up under Trump. Uh, I had worked with uh, Mark Morgan. I had worked with uh, Secretary uh, Wolf. Uh, but then after the president lost the um, uh, the election in November, it kind of all went away. So hopefully the Biden administration will uh, understand why it's important. 
Thanks. Let's um, sort of, if we could stay on that topic, but looking forward, um, do you see a, a role for Congress in in pandemic preparedness in, for example, ensuring that there are more clear guidelines and metrics for when you might, when a closure would be justified and when an opening would be justified? Because I, as I mentioned before, I, I think one of the big challenges is people literally waiting on the 19th of each month to see whether the border will open on, on the next day. And, and you certainly can't plan for business that way. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, you know, I think uh, Secretary Wolf and especially CBP Commissioner Mark Morgan, we got it. Uh, they got it. And, you know, we worked and we developed a plan to have a face in. And, and like I said, it was going to happen until President Trump lost the, you know, the election. Then everything changed after that. But they were moving toward that direction. We had a face in. Uh, actually, Senator Cornyn and myself, uh, we added language in the appropriations in December, but the administration has not followed it. But we ex exactly asked them, hey, tell us your metrics, uh, be more transparent, tell us how you're going to open up the border. Because right now, we're working in a void. I mean, nobody understands uh, what they're doing. Uh, they don't listen to the people at the border. And I'm not talking about myself, but I'm talking about the businessmen, the um, uh, county judges, the, the sheriffs, the mayors, uh, you know, the folks at the businesses at the border. And so there's no, as you mentioned, the key is there's no metrics. You know, when do we know it's going to open? We're just at a whim of the administration. And I wish that the administration uh, would understand this. And every time I talk to the secretary, I've told them. And without due respect, they give me answers that doesn't really make sense. Uh, and I'll be with him on Thursday and I'll talk to him again and see what he says. Uh, I think I get more information, quite honestly, uh, from um, the Mexican government. I, I'm, I, I do my WhatsApp with uh, the highest official there, uh, uh, Marcelo Ebran, and we, we communicate with each other. And I think I get more information from the Mexicans than the Americans, which shows you that there's a lack of transparency, a lack of metrics uh, with this administration when it comes to border crossings. Without a doubt, and, and, and thank you, sir, for doing that. We appreciate uh, all your hard work and efforts. I, I think there's no doubt that raising the issue is, is what has to happen in order for people to appreciate it. It's one of the, really, the purposes of this border conference all along has been to increase awareness of the border uh, in Washington, D.C., as well as in Mexico. So I'm, I'm delighted that you're engaging with Foreign Minister Ebrard and, and talking to folks here. We appreciate it.